0: Just exploded that one into straightaway center field, and you knew as soon as he started hitting the right that that stroke would come back to him. And all Marquis Grissom could do was look up. That was
1: a line drive rocket, and he's tied Big Mac. Wow, what a bomb!
0: So many bombs. In nineteen ninety eight, seven twenty WGN, Mark Carman, Joe Brand, Chip Carey, his first season in the booth, along, along for an incredible ride. Uh, hey, Chip, this is a uh, memory lane time for you, right? We got we got the doubt, oh, no doubt. Yeah, yeah. It's it, what, what was I don't know when you're you're hearing your calls now. You're on a million different radio shows. Thank you so much for taking time tonight. Like, what, what's it like for you? Does it just bring a smile to your face thinking about that season? Well, yeah. I mean, I think about how
2: much younger I was and how much uh, <laughs> less gray hair I had. <laughs> and, you know, and hearing Steve Stone in the background and, you know, my broadcast partner, dear friend, it was such a wonderful uh, time in my life, personally and professionally, despite the fact that uh, I didn't get to work with my grandfather. But uh, the city of Chicago was so great to me and the Cubs were so great to me. And to, to parachute into a, a season where you had a, a good Cubs team and, and a team that went to the playoffs. Man, it was a dream come true. It was a, a lot of fun and uh, I think the the big special tomorrow night will be, uh, uh, as you said, a great trip down memory lane for a lot of people, including me.
0: Just, just a reminder, Chip, you were hired to do the middle innings that year. Is that right? Yeah, I was hired to do the middle three, pre and post at home, and all the road games. Harry was not going to
2: travel quite so much and uh, they offered me the job a couple of years earlier to work on radio and for myriad myriad reasons I couldn't take it. Um, But you know I I was excited to work with my grandfather personally and professionally. Uh, I didn't know much about uh, Harry. Uh, We were sort of estranged I guess is the best way to put it. Uh, So a chance for our family to close some circles and close some loops and, and all that stuff that didn't happen obviously and uh, to go from being uh, an understudy to the guy that had to sit in that chair with his partner, his fans, his microphone, his producer, and stuff was was uh, you know an awesome and difficult responsibility. But a lot of people were in my corner. A lot of people helped me, and obviously, a, a good team made the transition as easy and, and as smooth as it possibly could be.
1: Chip, I know you had done baseball uh, prior to that, but did were you ever able to really absorb just how important? the season was and I'm not even just talking about the home run chase but everything you just mentioned and the fact that the home run chase is part of it and oh yeah the Cubs are going to the playoffs like all these things are just accumulating in the same year did it ever come to realization for you in that moment
2: no uh, because you know you live in the moment you don't really think and, and you don't really process it in that way until time has gone and you have a chance to think back and reflect and see where that season was in your personal history and for the city of Chicago and all that kind of stuff. Look, like I said, I, I came to Chicago hoping to be an apprentice uh, and learn at the foot of the master and, and, and work with Steve and Harry and, and understand what Chicago was all about. I didn't get the opportunity. I was thrust into that. And I, I think did a pretty good job of being myself and finding my own voice in the midst of a very good season. And as time went on, as time goes by, 22 years later, I've said to many people many times that 1998 was in many ways my favorite Major League Baseball season in in the sense that I was able to – Follow my grandfather, forge a great relationship with Steve Stone, uh, you know, mesh with people in Chicago and who people who understood that I was not Harry Carey, and follow a team that had so many remarkable individual and team performances in a way that, that touched a, a lot of hearts there. Because, look, we know the Cubs' history wasn't particularly good as far as postseason baseball and success. And to be a very, very minor part and chronicle that team's success in 98, which was so unexpected, and to be in the right place at the right time was uh, a great entree for me in Chicago and was really, I guess, a springboard for my career, uh, not just as a Cubs announcer, but as a baseball announcer and as a professional. And I'm always grateful for the people who are extremely supportive of me, and I'll never forget those great moments.
1: What kind of pressure did that put on you? I mean, your grandfather was known for his gigantic calls, and there was a heck of a lot of them that year. Yeah, well, I mean,
2: I think some of that is self-imposed. You know, I I think I was very honest with my partner uh, and my, my crew and the people that hired me. I was going to do things uh, based upon who I was. I share Harry's name. I'm Harry, Harry Christopher Carey III, but I wasn't Harry. I was a young father, uh, and I was not from Chicago. I didn't know the Cubs history and all that stuff. Harry was in the Hall of Fame. Uh, I was just beginning my career, and so I just said, look, I've got to do this my way. And that was the only advice that my dad and my grandfather ever gave, ever gave me was, It is a personality-driven business. You have to be you. And I think that was very, very strong advice and smart advice, because if I tried to be a cheap facsimile of Harry Carey, people would have seen right through it. So was I perfect? Nah. And were there people in Chicago that hated me because they hated Harry? Yeah. And were there people that loved me because of Harry? Yeah. Yeah. And were there people that I think uh, came to appreciate and, and uh, understand or, and uh, accept the fact that I was who I was because that was me? Yeah, absolutely. And that's all part of the growing process that we all go through as announcers and as human beings. You know, you, 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 uh, <laughs> you do the best that you can in the moment and uh, let the chips fall where they may, if you will. And I'm very, very happy with my track record in Chicago. And I'm very grateful for the opportunity that so many people gave and, and the opportunities of trust that they gave me as well.
0: Chip carry with us here on 720 WGN. Currently, the voice of your Atlanta, or not your, but of the Atlanta Braves. <laughs> Let's. Let me We're look. trying to change that. They
2: could be America's team too. It's okay. There
0: we go. Let me, let me let me try to at least say that somewhat correctly. And maybe we do have some Braves fans listening right now. Chip, did you? have conversations with Stony and or anybody else around the time in ninety eight thinking, this doesn't quite seem right. What's going on behind the scenes here? Or were you just kinda along for the ride? Like I, I mean I I was that was one of my first years first years covering the team and you know, I, when Sammy said Flintstone vitamins, I believed him. And I would interview McGuire or be at his locker, and you'd see Androstein and die on, and I thought that was normal. Like, I, I really didn't have in my mind that, that you, know, what, you know, what was coming five, six years later when it blew up on baseball.
2: Well, I I think, first of all, we have to remember that some of the stuff that people talked about was legal at the time, so that's number one. Number two, Andrew, I couldn't spell it or uh, tell you what it did, so that didn't mean anything to me. Uh, For me personally, there was some naivete as far as being a young broadcaster, getting used to Major League Lifestyle and all that that Major League Baseball had. There was a romantic notion of what I thought was going on. Uh, As far as PEDs and stuff, I don't remember specific conversations about that. I do remember us talking very specifically about, okay, you know, three years earlier we had expansion and the you know pitching was not nearly as deep and as developed as we were used to, and that might have explained some of what was going on. Um, but as far as PEDs and 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 you know guys cheating and all that kind of stuff, no, we never really got into that because at the moment the joy of watching what Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa and Ken Griffey Jr. in the other league were doing was so special, so unique, so unprecedented that we got caught up in the moment. At least I did. And uh, to this day, I don't have any ill will. I don't have any bitterness at all about what we know now because as a 32-year-old broadcaster watching these things happen in real time, it was such an exciting ride. It was so needed for baseball, for our country, and all that stuff that it was um, uh, you know, a front-row seat to a Rolling Stones concert every single night. And I loved every minute of it.
1: Chip, have you seen the documentary?
2: I'm not. I'm not. I'll see it tomorrow night. I've not gotten an advanced copy.
1: Because, um, I mean, it sounds like for the people who have seen it, the feedback is that steroids aren't mentioned a lot, or at least not until the very end. Do you think that the audience might be deprived of something, if that's the case, or or do you...
2: No, because I think, I think people, I, I think that horse
1: has been, uh, you know, whipped to death.
2: Uh, I think people know what they know or know what they think they know. And I think the most difficult thing for baseball and the people that are electing guys or excluding guys from the Hall of Fame is very simple, and that is we don't know who was taking and who wasn't. Uh, And that's the the most difficult part of the proposition. I firmly believe that the people who watch baseball and love baseball are smart enough to come to their own conclusions and do their own research. And it makes no sense to me that guys like Roger Clemens and Rafael Palmero and Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa are not in the Hall of Fame, irrespective of what we think they did, uh, Uh, if they were great players at the time in which they played, that's my benchmark for the Hall of Fame. And I would have no problem as well with having a line on their plaque saying played in the era known as the steroid era. Let people make their own decisions, let people do their own homework, and let people come to their own conclusions as to uh, what was right and what was wrong. There were a lot of people that did these things legally and illegally that we don't know. There are a lot of people that played it that we do know. And uh, it seems to me sort of silly that uh, the um, <laughs> that the Hall of Fame is excluding guys uh, and uh, including guys who may have bent the rules and broken the rules because they were the greatest players that they played in the era in which they played, and a lot of guys were doing stuff that we don't know. That's just my opinion on it.
0: It seems the momentum is going that way. I mean, I don't I don't have a vote, and, and nobody really cares what I think for the record here, but I was on the train of absolutely not. They cheated, and now... I'm starting to sway the other way. Hey, Chip, right. what was what was um, Sammy like for you personally? Did, what was your relationship with him? And you know, uh, maybe not just '98, but going through the whole time you were in Chicago. He
2: was fine with me. Uh, My judgment on guys uh, is not so much how they deal with me, but how they deal with my family. Uh, We have professional relationships with players, and sometimes we would say stuff that will rankle guys, and sometimes we'd say stuff that made them really happy. I get that. That's just the nature of the business. but. Every time my wife or my kids would come to Chicago, Sammy Sosa was the first guy to say hello, shake my hand, say hi to my daughter, say hi to my twin sons, say hello to my wife. Uh, He was first class all the way. We did have our uh, occasional disagreements, but we always talked them out. He was a pro's pro. He got it. And I think that's the great secret of Sammy Sosa is for all of his great uh, uh, accomplishments between the white lines, Sammy was very, very street smart. He knew uh, how to uh, co-opt the media in a good way. And this is not a negative thing at all, but he looked at the camera. He kissed the camera. Chicago was starved for a baseball guy that could be the uh, sports Michael Jordan, if you will. And for a couple of summers, Sammy Sosa was that guy, and uh, he got it. He understood that we could help him, and he in turn could help us, and it was a great symbiotic relationship. And, again, I have nothing but uh, good things to say about Sammy and his relationship with me. He treated me first class, and I tried to do the same with him.
1: Chip, I've been pre-gaming for this documentary tomorrow. I'm just so juiced up about (laughs) it. I watched this YouTube documentary last night from 1998 about the home run chase, and it it was just... Mm-hmm. Totally glorifying both of them, but I, I saw—I kept seeing you obviously with the Cubs calls. Did you do a couple of Fox games too? Some national games during that? I. I might have, I you know, God, that's twenty-two years
2: and, and about nine million synapses uh, burned away since then. But uh, probably so. Yeah, um, I, I was I, at the time in '98. I was still doing Orlando Magic basketball, and I was uh, doing Fox Weekend uh, uh, Studio work and the Cubs. So I was I was uh, cross country doing all kinds of stuff at the time. So I may have done some some FS1 games or stuff in the, in the interim. Yes.
1: Well, basically, what I'm getting at is obviously you're there for Sosa's 66 home runs, Mark McGuire hit seven home runs out of his 70 against the Cubs that year and oh by the way you might be doing some national Cardinal games as well I feel like you had the best seat for that Cubs Cardinals regular season series season series and I don't know I mean are we ever going to see a regular season series like the Cubs and Cardinals from 1998?
2: Well, I, you know, I don't know about that. I just think that uh, you know, with all the uh, East Coast bias of the Yankees and Red Sox and all that stuff, I still say that the Cubs-Cardinals rivalry is the best in all of sports. Uh, it is uh, you know, such great theater. I grew up in St. Louis and then worked for the Cubs, so I understand it from both sides. Uh, to be in St. Louis when McGuire broke the record was incredibly uh, humbling and, and awesome. Uh, Jack Buck uh, was a guy that I grew up listening to in St. Lewis was my broadcasting idol and to watch him standing and crying, tears running down his face in his red Cardinal jacket when McGuire made his trip around the bases and all the fireworks and all that went on with that was uh, surreal in a lot of different ways and on a lot of different levels for me. I, I, it was uh, just so great to be, as you said, on the front row of, of history uh, in St. Louis at Old Bush Stadium. I'm sorry that Sammy didn't break the record first. It would have been great from a Cubs perspective. But to be able to see that from a historical perspective and watch it uh, happen in real time, it was, it was great for baseball. It was great for the two franchises. It was great for the fans who wanted to believe in all that was right with our great sport. And uh, quite frankly, in today's current climate, I think we could all use a lot more of that, to be honest
0: with you. What do you remember about Brant Brown and the drop ball in Milwaukee? And, 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 <laughs> and, and yeah. I, I remember, I forgot who told the story, but somebody, t- I maybe mean, it was Riggleman, who talked about Sano in the manager's office after the game with his head down, and and the manager, Jim, who was you know, first-class guy, saying, Ronnie, it's going to be okay. I, I think Pat yeah. Hughes was, oh, man, he,
1: man. Uh, yeah, Riggleman was oh. consoling yeah, Sano. It was, it was Pat who said that, yes.
0: Yeah, see, it was
2: hard for me because on TV I blew the call. It was one of my worst calls ever because I, I follow the ball, the ball drops, and I, I, I forgot how many runners were on. So, I, you know, Steve Stone had to say, no, the Brewers have won the game. Uh, on radio, you know, Santos screams, oh, no, oh, no. Uh, and the great thing about Ronnie was you know, we called him the coach because he lived and died with everything that happened on the field. And, and Steve and I used to say, Ronnie, you can't get this wound up with what's going on because you can't control it you know, you're going to kill yourself. Uh, You know, if if Mark Grace goes over four, uh, you know, you're yet to be able to go out and have a drink and enjoy the night and say, hey, we'll go get him tomorrow. But uh, that was the great thing about Ronnie, and we all loved to tease him, and I think he loved it, too. He said to me one time, as much as Steve and I used to bug him and and give him crap, he said, you know, you guys are keeping me alive. You're mean, but you're keeping me alive, which was, uh, I think, a great compliment for him. I love him uh, and miss him uh, dearly, as so many Cubs fans do, but You know, when the Cubs would win, uh, Ron Sandel thought the Cubs were never going to lose another game, but if the Cubs (laughs) lost, they were never going to win another game, and that was the day-to-day roller coaster that he had to live with, and so as far as the Brant Brown game was concerned, we all got on the plane and were thinking, oh my God, what's going to happen? This team's either going to come together or they're going to fall apart, and uh, luckily they came together and continued to play good baseball and figured out a way to force game 163, and obviously they won that and went to the playoffs, so... As the old saying goes, all's well that ended well, and it sure ended well for the Cubs that year in regular season play.
0: Yeah, Chip, thanks so much for being with us tonight. Uh, ending this interview, let's let's just get your thought. Do you think we're going to have baseball this year?
2: we're going to have baseball. Uh, The commissioner has the right to uh, impose a season of his uh, will and duration. Uh, As a fan of the game, and I have to take my Braves and Fox Sports South hat off, uh, as a fan of the game, I'm absolutely absolutely disgusted with uh, the way that this has been uh, handled, uh, the leaks and all that kind of stuff. Uh, This is not what should be happening in the midst of a pandemic. I'd like to think the players and owners were better than this, and I hope that they will be. Uh, But, yes, we're going to have baseball. Whether it's 50 games or 70 games, I don't know. Uh, but to talk about economics in a in a time where 40 million people are unemployed and 110 uh, 110,000 people have died from coronavirus is just gross and underlines the the big divisions that we have in our sport. We've got to figure out a way to be partners and not adversaries. And uh, as a fan of the sport and someone whose uh, family has broadcast 75 years of Major League Baseball. Uh, It's incredibly disappointing, and I know the fans are, and I hope that baseball's players and owners will sit back and reflect on uh, uh, what are we doing for the fans? And right now the answer to that is nothing, and that's got to change real quick in my opinion.
0: Really well said, Chip. Thanks so much. We're looking forward to watching okay, tomorrow night. Yeah, Chip, thank you. See you soon. All the best. Thanks. Chip, Bye-bye. Chip Carey, voice of your Atlanta Braves and, of course, the former voice of your Chicago Cubs with us here on 720 WGN. Quick time, Let's talk about what he just said about the fans coming on I'm back here. 720 WGN.